Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Cinefleck. I'm your host, Ethan Colburn. Uh, welcome back. Uh, this is our first post-Christmas episode. Um, I just want to sort of echo what I said in the Die Hard podcast and uh, hope that you guys had a amazing Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate, just an amazing uh, winter solstice, I guess. <laughs> um I, I know I know a lot of people out there are alone on Christmas, and I just want you to know that I'm thinking about all of you guys, and uh, I appreciate you listening, but also, like, I want to let you know that I genuinely care about you, too, and I care to hear from you guys. Um, I, I mean, I feel like... I feel like my listener base is small enough that I probably know most of you to a certain extent, but if I don't know you, uh, reach out on social media. Like I'm always on Instagram. So just like DM me. I love to talk. Uh, (laughs) I'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah. I just, I hope, I hope, I hope your holiday was as happy as it could be. And, uh, I hope that you're staying sane in this crazy surge of COVID cases. Die Hard was, an amazing time and i'm excited to share the last two episodes of december with you we've got this uh playtime is probably one of my lesser known movies that i've done but if you haven't seen it i definitely recommend checking it out before this podcast if you can it's up on hbo max and the criterion channel so you can check it out in either place hopefully you've um, access to one of those, but, uh, it's, it's an amazing experience. I mean, it's just, it's immersive. If you're afraid to check it out because it's old and French and foreign, don't be. It's uh, it's not as daunting as it sounds, and it's it's just an amazing uh, cinematic experience. So I hope you enjoy that. And then uh, we've got our Boogie Nights episode coming up next uh, for all you PTA fans out there. Uh, that'll be coming out uh, New Year's Eve. So check out our Boogie Nights episode then and then hopefully we'll that'll be launching us into better times in 2021 uh i hope you enjoy this episode uh i love you all and uh have fun Griffin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's good to be here, man. It's 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 so good to talk to you about this movie. Um, I I mentioned to, this to you earlier. I just I literally don't know how we're gonna break this down because <laughs> there's so much going on. But uh, we will try our best. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm I'm not sure how this is gonna go either because this is. <laughs> such a weird movie not only to, to watch but to talk about especially because it's so visual so yeah i'm curious to see how this is gonna go <laughs> yeah i'm curious i'm curious as well um yeah so so what was like your first experience with playtime like what was the first time you saw it Ooh, that, that's a good question because so, you have the box set at this point so yes. you are you are serious into into Jack Tati. I would consider myself a bit of a Jack Tati fanatic. I love it. I, I've seen all six of his features and all of his shorts, but the first time I didn't see, uh, the first time I saw Playtime wasn't until last year, actually. I, okay. I one, one of my cousins um, is very into film and he, he's, he's someone who I get tons of recommendations for. Him. And I know Playtime is, holds a very special place in his heart. So it, it had been one that I've been meaning to get around. And last year, I, I, uh, it was my last time home before I was heading out. I'm like, you know what? I, I want something fun. I want something that's going to give me life. I'm going to watch Playtime. And I had no clue what was it about. I just assumed that it was Japanese or something because of the poster. <laughs> and 
I had no clue what I was in for. And it just completely blew me away. And it was something that I could not have prepared myself, even if I tried. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I, I don't think that there's anything that, that quite uh, prepares you for this movie. Um, and like, I genuinely hope that if you're listening to this podcast, you have seen this movie because I don't, I don't know how much, I, I, I don't know how I can put this film into context. Like, honestly, like if, if, if you just haven't, if you haven't seen it, it's so, it's so unique. It's more chaotic than uncut gems. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's so, it's so wild. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I, and, and, and there isn't too much of a, of a plot to it. I would just say that, um, I can give a little summary if, uh, yeah, if you, you can. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, like you said, there's there's not much of a plot. So, like to give a summary, I could either make it real short or real long. <laughs> so I'm I'm I'll, I'll go the long version. Okay, awesome. And so, playtime it's it's about this like sterile and ultra modern world and the antics that surround Monster Hulo, which is Jacques Tati's uh, character. And um, he attempts to attend a meeting at an office that operates more like a labyrinth or a maze. And he goes to this like gadget expo or convention showcasing all the latest consumer technology. And he runs into, into an old friend and sees his modernistic apartment. And he finds himself at a particularly chaotic restaurant opening. It's, it's a hilarious satire of like ultra modernism and yeah. consumerist culture, but it's, it's also about like the alienation that we find ourselves experiencing because of the rapid pace of technological advancements that should make our lives easier, but instead it does the opposite. But like Jacques Tati wants us to find the, the, the joy that lives in the cracks of everyday life. And it's just about those small moments and those, those little things. I think that's what makes it so unique and so special. Yeah. 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 That's super true. And then I think, um, well, like this movie is really, it, it seems like it takes place in about 24 hours. Like you get to see, so it's all set in this, in this modern area outside of Paris. It's, it's set in the La Défense area of Paris, which is the part of Paris that has the skyscrapers. And, and I figured this out also because there's a shot of him looking off a balcony and you can see straight down the Champs-Élysées. And so he would be in the modern sector of Paris, essentially. But um, it's kind of... I have no clue what you're talking about, but I'm going to take you at your word. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's it's at the end of the Champs-Élysées, which is the street that has like the Arc de Triomphe on it and stuff. But um, so it's kind of split up into two halves because you've got the day portion and the night portion at the restaurant where the restaurant scene really almost takes up half the movie, right? Yeah. I I think it's about 40, 45 minutes. Okay. Okay. So not, not quite half, but a significant chunk of the movie. Um, It seems like the first half is a lot more pessimistic about how technology is impacting our lives. And then the restaurant scene is a lot more optimistic about just sort of life and humanity bursting through this weird um, world that they're all living in. And that was sort of my impression this time. Like I always thought it was pretty pessimistic. And then this time I noticed that the restaurant scene is really sort of hopeful in some ways. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a really smart point. Because the first half is, is where the, the satire really shines through. Yeah. It's all about that ultra-modern society and all these inventions and everything that are supposed to make the world better. And, and it, it, it shows this Paris that is not the Paris that we know, but it's this futuristic version of Paris where everything is gray. Everything is just these metallic and glass buildings and everything just looks the same. And it's, like you said, it's a little bit depressing, but... Jacques Tati manages to find these 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 moments of just just joy and laughter in that, and I think that it comes out to shine even more in the second half with the restaurant scene. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, but I I I I mean, it's all shot in these super wide angles. Um, I don't think there's any close-ups in this movie, or even like a medium shot, 
hardly. There's hardly like a shot of someone. It's always a few people in this crazy set that he's <laughs> constructed. Um, and I think what's so smart about those wide shots is that it just breaks breaks down the idea of having one singular main character. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jacques Tati has always been one part of an ensemble in his Monsieur Hulot character. But in Playtime especially, he's one of hundreds of main characters. It's just he's a part of this, this faceless crowd that just assimilates and congregates together to, to form these these weird ideas and, and scenes that just kind of happen because it's almost as if nothing is planned, yet at the same time, everything is so meticulously planned. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, it feels simultaneously like you're lost in the crowd and, and that, I mean, I, 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 I mean, like you do get identities shining through because like there, there are like, like like probably a hundred actors or so in this movie that come up at multiple times you know what i mean like you like you pointed out that there was a person in the flower shop scene that ended up at the restaurant right yeah there was this this schlubby looking fella yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then there's like all these callbacks that happen throughout the movie like i also noticed i i i sent you a picture because he ends up at this convention at one point where like all these different gadgets are being sold and you see the chairs at at certain points throughout the movie like the chairs are at the apartment that he ends up um um stopping by at and then and then also the weird trash can ends up at the restaurant too like there's all these callbacks to these gags that happen before like it's such a layered movie that i think you just you 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 notice new things every time yeah precisely like i I was particularly impressed with you being able to notice a trash can that was in the third act that that was a callback from the first act yeah (laughs) (laughs) but like i I think especially just with this with these um super wide shots at, at times it's hard to know where to look but I think what Jacques Tati would say is that there, there are no wrong choices, that every corner holds a secret willing to go unnoticed. That there's, the frame is just full of bustling life and everything's in focus, so you don't know where to look. There's no it's right true. choice. It's true. I don't think he ever has anything that's kind of out of focus. I think that's also a good point. Though I th- I've noticed that he has an impeccable ability to just draw your eye to what he wants to draw your eye to, if that makes sense. Like, it seems like, like there, 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 there's something that's happening in the upper right corner of your screen. And then it's the lower left corner of your screen. And it's just like, you, you have, he, he's sort of telling you where to look, even though he's giving you this whole huge screen, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. What I think makes this film so unique is that he uses the sound to draw your eye rather than visuals. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it's most films, the directors use the visual clues to guide your attention, but Jacques Dati uses these audio clues. And I, I think that just um, reiterates this point about just this sound design is just incredible. It's It's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, the sound design is... It's it's crazy how he made this world in which every item and person and everything just has its own unique sound that that you can immediately call back to. I mean, it's like I can picture exactly how those chairs sound right now, and I can picture exactly <laughs> how that weird machine sounds. I mean, like all these all these things, like they all have their own unique sounds and i know there's a lot of comedians um ponty python included that have just always looked to him as like a guide for just like um comedy and sounds if that makes sense he's just kind of legendary in that regard i i think um 
this is this is a bit of a weird one, but I believe David Lynch was very influenced by the sound design, particularly in this movie, Ooh. especially Ooh. In, in his just feature debut, Eraserhead. There's okay. kind of the same like ambient droning sounds in the background, just these industrial noises that are present in, in both movies. That's on on the surface two movies that don't really have a connection at all, that are are linked in this one specific way that I find fascinating. Yeah, totally, totally. Um... Yeah, I mean his his town design is incredible. I I I I I mean like if we're talking about like Tati as a whole, um, it's definitely the most ambitious project he's done. I don't ha, ha, have you seen all of his works? Yeah, so I, I I've seen all, all six of his features for sure. Yeah, so I haven't seen traffic which is the one that comes after this is that it's one so great <laughs> yeah i bet I mean, I mean i bet it's awesome so is that one um that sort of has a similar quality because like other than that they, they only movies that i've seen of his are his earlier pages because i think traffic was his last his last one right he did a movie in, so Traffic was 1971. Mm-hmm. He did a movie in 75, I believe, called Parade. But that was more of like a, a filmed version of like a, like a circus show type thing. Oh, I heard about that. What's that like? Okay. It's, it's good, but it's different. It's in, in the same way as Playtime. He's just a part of an ensemble, but it, it's very much like you're sitting in a, in a circus tent at a carnival or something like that. Whereas mm-hmm. you're watching people juggle, you're watching people do magic tricks, and there's there's no narrative, but it's still like vastly entertaining. It's just a little bit different. It takes away some of that Tati magic. Yeah, so he doesn't have have like the the that's the the crazy sets and stuff that at at his disposal. I'm assuming. Precisely. Yeah, it, it, it's it's one location. Yeah. And, the, the camera doesn't necessarily add a lot to the experience than just a naked eye would if you were actually there. Yeah, that makes sense. That would be kind of hard to watch because I feel like that's so much of what he does well is like the yeah. camera work and the sets and everything. Um, I, I, I know with this movie, it took, it took years. It, 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 it took them years to finish and years to edit and stuff. It's, Budget has never been reported, but it supposedly lost a bunch of money, which is so sad. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, if you're looking at it, like he built these crazy sets, and you can tell that they're his sets because they're so unique to how like the gags that he's trying to pull. Totally, he he, he built an entire city, in in fact, like yeah, he, his his movie went over budget, so he he took out all these loans on himself and because the movie was a financial failure, he lost a ton of money. I was listening to an interview he did at the, I believe it was a San Francisco um, film festival. And this was at the American release in 72, I believe. Mm-hmm. But um, there's this quote that, that stuck out that I found both funny and fairly sad. He said, before playtime, I had a house. Now I do not have a house. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor guy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But at the same time, I, th- I think that just speaks to what a, what a true artist he is. Like, yeah, I- I'm sure he, he's a smart guy. He, he, um, he knew what kind of this was, but he, I, I think it's a, it's a, a special, a special thing that some people have where, whether it's just, they have this, this, um, this little thing in their head that they need to, 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 to get out and they need to bring it to a screen kind of no matter what. And, because it's it's so unique and so special that it might not be commercial, but it's it's more important to that. And it's been fifty three years since this movie's come out, and we still talk about it. It's it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the movie that sort of defined his legacy. I I I mean, it just so happens that that um, Mon Oncle is my is my favorite of his, but this is a close close second. Wait wait. It's just so I say it again. How do you pronounce it so I do it the same? Mononcle. 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 
<laughs> I think that's right. Please yeah. keep this in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, that's my favorite of his. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is definitely his most ambitious work. And it's, it's clear how much, how, how much just effort he put into it. I mean, like aside from the money, just like, I literally don't know how he coordinated all of this. Like the restaurant scene, like how he, how he kept track of everything that was happening in that scene. Like he must've been going crazy shooting this. Yeah. I mean, like you alluded to earlier, it was a crazy long shoot. And yeah, I think we're bearing the lead a little bit about just how like big and how grand this movie is. It's, it's a, it's a giant movie. It's huge. Yeah, completely. And I, I think to the fact that he's such an auteur and, and he had this, this one specific vision that, that he he's, um, was literally telling actors, like, this is how I want you to move. This is how I want you to do it. And um, he, would, he would spend days on, on a single scene. And yes, the scenes are long, but it, it, the shooting of this movie took several years. Yeah, and, and the set was called Tati Bill after a while. Because it was just, it was so huge. Um, part of the reason it lost money, apparently, is because he insisted on in showing it on 70 m- millimeter film, which was, which, which um, not all theaters at the time were equipped for. And so he wasn't able to show it everywhere that he wanted to and, or, or everywhere that people wanted to see it. And so, and so it just, it wasn't, totally available to a white audience but um yeah i I guess that's just part of his insistence on his vision and 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 that should also tell you that i mean at this point you kind of have to see it at home but just i would say to try it try to see it on the largest screen you can just because there's so much happening like you alluded to you know yeah i i think that um decision to shoot in 70 mil is objectively stupid but i respect the hell out of the man to do that that's so <laughs> cool it's so awesome and especially t- t- to see these these shots that just cover like vast amounts of land and just convey so much information you you need you need that that to just to to appreciate it fully i feel like yeah no totally totally i, I, I mean what happened with a lot of like the 70 millimeter productions at the time is they would they would convert it to 35 and so it could be shown in regular theaters but i i guess he didn't even want the conversion he just wanted people to see the full thing or nothing at all which is so awesome um so what's your favorite like what's your favorite like character in this movie what's your favorite like gag in this movie what works especially well for you okay i'll answer your first one favorite okay. character i have a little bit of a wild card and most people would assume oh of course it's monster hulo he's he's the main character he's 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 what puts uh butts in seats but no especially in playtime even when he takes a back seat there's one guy that steals the show for me and he's at the beginning of the movie when monster hulo goes in for the meeting with um, some guy at, at some big office. And there is an elderly doorman who uh, at first opens the door for him and he is just the best. I have no clue w- what it is about him that, that makes me love him so much, but he's this, this short little wrinkly guy compared to the, to the tall gangly Hulo and that he does these little motions with his arms and everything. He just cracks me up. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. He he is amazing. Um, I think there's I, th- I I think there's something about him, like Monsieur Hulot seems like it's his first time in the modern world. It might not actually be his first time, but he seems to be experiencing it for the first time, like the audience, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like, I think Hulo is, is such an interesting character because um, he doesn't really do anything. Things just yeah. happen to him. He's like a very reactionary character. He just kind of 
he bumbles his way into everything just by pure luck and a little bit of stupidity probably totally yeah yeah no he 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 is sort of the audience um surrogate in some ways but like the old guy i think there's something about him because he see he, he he seems like he feels out of place but he's gotten used to the world and that's part of like seeing him operate that weird target board with all the buttons that don't make any sense <laughs> where he's like pushing this one and then this weird one and they all make weird sounds and whatever i think i think part of the charm is just he seems like he has learned it but um he's not fully adjusted but he's from the old world as 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 opposed to some of these younger people that seem like oh this is all great and this is how i live and this is this is my life i guess totally he's he's like mumbling to them himself about how how annoying this this complicated circuit board is the same way my grandpa gets mad at himself when he can't learn how to work the remote yeah exactly <laughs> exactly exactly oh like i do have to say i mean that target board looks absolutely impossible i have no idea how you like it's not labeled at all there's the, there's there's, there's literally random rows yeah, there's like a hundred <laughs> buttons, <laughs> random positions. I mean, I mean, it's it it sort of reminds me of like how my dad probably looks at an iPhone. You know, like <laughs> it's just, that's probably what he sees. You know, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get it now. Yeah, no, that that looks that looks absolutely impossible. <laughs> Each button emits a different sound. It's it's so funny. I I, I cannot like undersell. How funny these little minute like sounds are. So, so one thing I read on the IMDb trivia is that every frame of this movie contains some red. Mm -hmm. And I found it in all except for one of the frames. Well, I wasn't paying attention the whole the whole movie, but there was one frame I'm like, I don't see any red. So I, I take it you went frame by frame. It probably took you a real long time to watch. Wait, 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 wait. I meant shot, not not frame. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty aggressive. Um, every every shot contains some red. So I mean, sometimes like the red walks through the shot or something, and then it leaves. But uh, I I didn't notice it in one of the scenes early on. But other than that, like it's pretty accurate. And then also, um, shout out to our drink which is also red. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna be honest, I did not make that connection. <laughs> I didn't, I'm, 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 I'm gonna act like I planned that, but I didn't. You totally planned to eat it. I, I remember you telling me now, I just forgot right? stupid. Okay, thank you for reminding me. I did tell you, um, I, I had planned this the whole time. We are drinking my third custom drink on the show and the only one that I've come up with which we've affectionately named the Tati. It is a uh, cognac, um, Campari, lime, and tonic. And uh, I invented this like a couple months ago and I've been trying to find the movie for it, but I feel like it's just the right movie. It, it strikes a balance of flavor. The cognac is French, but it strikes a balance of flavor. It's red. I don't, I don't, I, it, 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 it works for me. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. it works for this I'm movie. A, I'm not a big drinker at all, but it, it's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just just um, pretend I said all the articulate things that Ethan said, and instead Ethan just went like, "Dur, dur, I'm Griffin, dur." <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds like well, <laughs> we already had to cut the part where I just like completely lost, <laughs> lost whatever the fuck I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's already gone. Yeah, no, I, I am, I am, I'm the less articulate one on this podcast. It's, it's quite a good, it's quite a good drink, and I'm, and I'm pretty happy with it. And it is an honor to name it after this amazing director. Yeah, I, I mean, Jacques Tati is is one of my favorite directors. He's just one of the people in in the cinema sphere that I. I admire the most and he's the one person that I, I think he's the singular person that I laugh the most at like th this movie is hilarious 
it's so it's so funny i mean it's 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 in some ways hard to believe that it's it, it's simultaneously easy and hard to believe that this wasn't appreciated at the time because it's it's so crazy you can sort of see how people would be like what the hell am i watching but it's also i i i mean like from the first moment i saw it it's 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 a spectacular piece it's hard to believe that these things can go unappreciated for years i just i just recorded the the last podcast i recorded um was it's a wonderful life which is another movie that oddly went unappreciated for years it's so hard to believe that these classics can just go unseen by like the general public i i think um part of the reason of that is just because yes it's hilarious yes it's might be the funniest movie i've ever seen but it's not necessarily like laugh out loud funny it's yeah it's all of these these visual gags that that would be weird to talk about on a podcast but at the same time it's it's not the type of humor to make you bust out laughing like you would in a broad comedy it's the type that just brings joy to your heart yeah do you think it was like too real at the time like do you think that it was just like too much the lives that people were living is that possible maybe I, I mean to my knowledge it was like critics liked it fairly well it was just unsuccessful at the box office mm-hmm. that being said i have no clue what 1960s french box office looked like what kind of movies <laughs> were doing well so I, i'm i'm gonna guess that french 1960s avengers was just killing everyone else and all the other movies failed so that's the reality that i choose to believe in I can totally see that and people just not having it that uh, available to them because of it only being on 70 millimeter. But like, I think in some ways it's gotten more real as our lives have gotten more modern. I think it's part of it. You know what I mean? I mean, we live in a world of technology way more than we did in the sixties. I told you like, I, I, in the middle of this movie, like my internet was just loading so slow. Like it was, it was like every, every 10 seconds that had like the loading thing again, you know, and stuff. And eventually I was like, oh, I can't deal with this. So I restarted like the Amazon fire stick that didn't work. And so I did go up into the attic and restart the whole internet. But like, uh, I was like, everyone, everyone listen to the podcast, Venmo, Ethan, five bucks. We can buy the Criterion box set, please. Please, please. I will, I will totally accept crowdfunded donations um <laughs> but yeah like i felt like i was living in a tatty sketch like i that same shit that i'm going through is like this shit is, is is like the same shit the old man had to go through in the beginning of the movie to push all these buttons that i'm trying to make this crazy thing work such that i can watch a movie such that i can talk to you online and it's <laughs> like i'm i'm living in his world like i'm living in his nightmare it's i think that's part of why it's aged so well yeah, yeah, that, that satire, it, it, it's, it, it hits so right. It's like you, you talked about, and I'm going to pronounce this correct because I'm sophisticated. Mon oncle. <laughs> Mon oncle. Mon oncle. <laughs> um, th- that's about the complications of this like ultra modern house, whereas Playtime is, is that s- similar idea, just expanded upon this, this entire city. This, this, this version of Paris that doesn't exist, but, but might one day exist. Yeah. 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 No, totally. I, th- I think the reason, I think the reason I like that movie slightly more, if we're just, if we're just talking about that movie is how like in, in his earlier movies, you get the gags, but you don't get like the play on the modern society and like technology and everything. And then in and then in Honong, you get the 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 transition between the new and the old. Like he lives in this old house in the in 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 the old part of town, and he's always seeing his family in like the new part of town. You get that like dichotomy between the new and the old, and playtime just jumps you straight into the modern you don't get to see any of the old paris other than like the landmarks off in the distance and and through the reflections occasionally but other than that you're really thrown into this um thrown into this new world that that he's 
created, I guess. Yeah, totally. I, I think one of the reasons that Mon Uncle, as, uh, as I, I pronounce it, um, one of the reasons I really connect to that one is because it's it's bookended by these these two scenes of stray dogs running around. It's it's almost this like plea for like like freedom and that we're being like trapped by by this this technology and this this simpler life that these these stray dogs have is yeah is not necessarily better, but it's 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 one that's more enjoyable it's 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 a greater life i'd say if you're trying to understand him as a whole i'd say that these two movies are probably the most essential would you agree yeah because like monster hulo's holiday is one that i hold very close to my heart i absolutely adore that movie but that one leans a little bit more into the hulo character as this simple bumbling oaf who just kind of finds himself in these wacky scenarios that but it doesn't necessarily have have the satire that that makes it last and, and makes it makes it connects so much more with us in the year 2020 or soon 2021. I mean, I agree with that. Like, I think both those two movies combine his satire with his gags. And, and, and I think that's not to, that, 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 that's not to minimize like how amazing his gags are. Because like, if you, if you watch the restaurant scene, that's basically that, that that's pretty much a movie inside of a movie. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's got its own beginning handle and end to it. If that makes sense. Yeah, completely. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's my favorite scene out of just about anything I've ever seen just because of the sheer like jokes per minute. And the thing is with these jokes is that they're, simple jokes it's not like they're complicated or anything they're they're just these little visual jokes that that stack on top of each other that just just grow that they're they're called back to and i just find myself like with a giant smile on my face the entire time like like the people with the imprints of the crown chairs on their back that's fucking hilarious how many how many jokes in the restaurant scene can you name like how many can you can you think of because like there's so many <laughs> there's there's the the glass door that shatters and the, there's the there's the drunk doorman there's there's the chairs yeah there's the chairs that always leave the imprints there's there's the fish that keeps getting seasoned in front of a couple that never gets to eat it yeah yeah no, i love the fish that's just out there there, there's the waiter that tears his pants and then he has to continually swap different articles of clothing with other waiters who have ruined their clothes. So by the end, he ends up looking like a, like a homeless person. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. There's, there's also, um, there's the tile in the floor. Oh, that one's so great. There's this tile that comes out of the floor at the very beginning, before the restaurant even opened. This restaurant is getting finished while the first people are coming in. And every every waiter or person who works at the restaurant has to physically step over the tile that's not going to move every single time they pass by it. I think that kind of my favorites in that is when they put the drunk guy in the stool upside down such that it acts like a cage for him so like they, they, they flip the stool and then they put him in it such that he can just like stand in there and lean every way he wants and he's all good it's so stupid but it's so funny it's so great it's, it's just it's a very crude form of, of comedy as, as most visual comedy is but it's so effective like i am just an absolute child when i watch this movie yeah 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 kind of like again i think it's 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 literally pure chaos like you're just i i mean like there's each small storyline that kind of ha- has its own beginning middle and end and you get to see like the restaurant go into full swing and then and then things slow down when the other girl t- takes over on the piano and they're playing more low-key music but um yeah i mean it doesn't it doesn't have a plot it doesn't necessarily have have a meaning but it's just it's like the most elaborate joke ever pulled it's like a magic trick it's like watching a magic trick really yeah like i i think the the depth at specifically the restaurant scene and, and comes in like at, at, at the very beginning of the scene 
it's it's this this one restaurant it's their grand opening and they are not ready for it the architects there the builders are there they're filling in tiles they're putting up lights and it's it just simply not ready but at the same time right as they open they're kicking any of the workers out because they want to attract all the high class people and at first the restaurant is just only only filled with, with the with the waiters who are dressed in these suits and, and the, the wealthy patrons who are all either in these black and white suits or black and white dresses. And as the night progresses, all, all these, these different people come in, come in. The cook says he, he only prepared for, for 50 meals, but he's had to serve 120. And all these different sorts of people come in. And there's these hippies, the, these vagabonds that come in. Barbara, the American tourist, comes in. And at first, she's embarrassed by the green, green, beautiful dress she's wearing because everyone else is just wearing black and white. And as the night progresses, she takes off her trench coat and she, she reveals this beautiful emerald dress. And, and the night just progresses in this just giant dance party and it becomes more and more like they become animals. Like the, these, these lines between classes are just, just blown up and it just becomes one big disaster. The, the entire really? restaurant just falls apart, literally. <laughs> the, the ceiling collapses. <laughs> the ceiling collapses because he pulls down an orange. Yeah, and then, and and then, yeah, like I, 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 I was sort of saying this earlier, but it's the only part of this world that genuinely looks fun. Like I think so much of it looks, um, I would say all of it up until the restaurant scene looks stale. Like all of it, it. It looks like people living in bubbles. Like the houses that people live in are these, hey, like have these huge glass windows that look out onto the street and everyone can see everything that they're doing in their houses. And like, and then, and then they're all walking through this just like gray airport. And then I think the restaurant scene also has the most, the, 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 the most like literal color of any, any scene as well. Would you? Would you agree with that? Or, or is there a more yeah. colorful scene? No, I, I think that's just a, a really great point. Like, like the film starts out very like isolated and rigid. It starts out in an airport, which we can't even recognize in a, as an airport. At first we think maybe it's a hospital. Like what is this building? Right. There's just maybe five people on screen. It's, it's this huge area. When the people walk through there, there's a guy who presumably works at the airport who is walking like an, like an army soldier who is pivoting at a 90 degree angle. And, and the, the screen is very sparse with people and the film just slowly becomes like busier and the atmosphere just becomes looser. And by the end, it's just this massive party where there's just a hundred people on screen at once, all just dancing their ass off. Yeah. 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 No, totally. I, I think, I think you, you texted me at one point, you were like, I would give a whole finger to be at that party right now. <laughs> Totally. Or, or to be like, at the restaurant right now <laughs> i'm not even talking about like like a pinky like anyone would give up a pinky come on like i give up a <laughs> ring finger like a left hand but i would give up my right hand ring finger to be at that party right now like i'm so desperate to do that like that sounds awesome yeah i mean like especially now when we're all isolated but i mean yeah it, it just it looks it looks like a great time it looks like a great time i think i think it's simultaneously like a commentary on how how kind of thin the the facade of this perfect modern life is because like you get to see everything kind of not working that well and it's also a commentary on how kind of humanity can shine through in this crazy world of technology but i mean beyond that it's just it's just a great time to watch yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a very smart point, Ethan. And like, just because I think the, the underlying um, moral that Tatsi is getting at is that these are just human constructs and they should be broken down and that, that joy is found there. Like, I, I know that, I, I believe this is um, um, film critic Jonathan Rosenbaum's favorite movie, or at least one of his favorite movies. And his reading of that movie, he doesn't believe in that alienation aspect at all. It's it just this, this, being able to find joy in, in these moments. And I think that's, just, that's so that's so beautiful and poetic. I think all of his movies kind of start to find that. They start to find like the humor, e even if like it seems like the characters don't see the humor themselves. Like there's a lot of like self-important characters in this that have their duty that they're going to stick by or whatever. But, but 
if you are an observer who chooses to see the joy and the beauty and the things that they're doing, like, like, it's almost like, it's about how you react to it and not, and not necessarily how the characters are, are feeling about it, I guess. Is there another character that sort of stands out for you? Yeah. I don't think we've talked a lot about Barbara, the, the American tourist. And oh yeah, no, we haven't. She might be the only character that's not comedic which is very interesting, but she's like, honestly, the, the heart of the movie, she shows up uh, at the beginning of the movie before Monster Who Lowe shows up. And she is part of this, this tour group of almost entirely ladies that gets on this, this very regimented tour of, of Paris. They get to see all these two things. And, and she is very earnest in this. She is, um, she's there to experience the real Paris, but she doesn't necessarily get a see it the only the only time we as an audience get to see the real paris is through a reflection on the glass and we, we get to see this glimpse of an eiffel of the eiffel tower but other than that we just see these these gray metallic and glass buildings and i i think this barbara character she shows us this longing to to, to see the, the real paris and to see through this facade of this ultra modern society and i i think it's it's so relatable and, and so interesting yeah, totally. And then I think, I, 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 I think the other funny thing is like her as opposed to like the rest of her tour group, um, she seems to stand out from like the rest of her, her group. Cause like the rest of her group seems like, Oh my God, this is so great. Like I love, I love whoever <laughs> did the dialogue for all that shit too. It's so funny. It's all like, like Oh my like, God. Like, like she's like a, a dog or like a kid on a leash or something like that. Like, Come yeah. on, everyone's like come on look at the monuments like i love all their like weird america <laughs> whoever they got to do that is so perfect that was a pretty good impression <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny it's pretty funny. It, it, it 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 really occurred to me this time how much of this movie is in english like i'd say maybe like maybe not half of it but a really good portion of it is in English or at least not in French, you know? I mean, there's just a lot, there's a lot of different languages happening. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think we've been circling a lot, but there's just not a lot of language at all. There's that's true spoken words. It's, it's, it's almost a sound film. Like the Monsieur Huller character is, is more similar to like Charlie Chaplin's Tramp or Buster Keaton's characters than anything else. It's like, it's so reliant on like the visual cues yeah, I know that he was a huge admirer of Chaplin, which really kind of comes through in this. Just, I mean, like, if you've never seen a Chaplin movie, please watch a Chaplin movie. But there, there's a lot of social commentary as well that he tries to conquer, especially in his later stuff. Um, yeah. So I think those those two, I mean, he, he really is the French Chaplin in a lot of ways. Like, that, that is probably the closest thing you could compare him to like Mr. Bean maybe but that doesn't have any social commentary I'm gonna pretend you didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> to compare uh, Jacques Tati to Mr. Bean I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna need some time to think about that either. <laughs> I love Mr. Bean hold off hold off are you not a fan of Mr. Bean <laughs> no <laughs> I haven't seen a ton of Mr. Bean, but I'm 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 not a Mr. Bean aholic. That's all I'll say. Have you seen Mr. Bean's Holiday? The one the one where he goes to he goes to the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> it's been a very long time, but yes, I've seen it. <laughs> Honestly, watch it again. It's such a fun movie. I love I love the part where where. where <laughs> probably like he's on the train. He's ordering he's ordering coffee, and the person goes, "Oh, tu voudrais le sucre." He's like, oui, non, oui. And then she's like, you speak very good French. She's like, gracias. All right, everyone, stay tuned for the next episode of Cineflect. We're doing a double feature of Mr. Bean's <laughs> holiday and Monsieur Hulot's holiday. And uh, we're going to have a fight to the death over which one's better. It just occurred to me that that might actually be a reference. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, 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 that just shows you Mr. Bean is super sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> i'll stop I, torturing you <laughs> you know even like i trust your judgment one day i will watch more mr bean 
God, this is degenerated. Um, <laughs> oh, all right, all right. I, I, um, going going back to your chaplain point, though. Like, yeah, yeah. I think uh, what what um makes that so cool is that while um, Jacques Tati is is very similar to Chaplin, he's also very unabashedly French. Like, he, he, mm, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's very evident that he's had a, has a history being a mime. Like, it's. Even even if you didn't know that little tidbit that he used to be a mime, it's so obvious in his performance. Like he uses his entire body similar to the way that an actor uses his face during a close-up. He's so expressive in his movements. I think it's funny the way he's always leaning. He's always like he's got this he's got this like super tall frame that he just uses that it just looks like a cartoon. Like <laughs> he looks like Michael Jackson and Smooth Criminal. Like you just don't know. You don't know like how how, how does he lean that far? It's crazy. He's just always like, it's 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 so it's so awesome the way he uses his his whole potty and he's just always falling over and stuff. And yeah, he never fails to make you laugh when he's on screen. I I, I think if you're looking for more of him, I definitely go for Pansiolulo's Holiday. I think that one's the one that really. If you do want more of him coming through, because I think I think part of the reason it didn't it didn't make money at the time, or part of the reason people are sort of disappointed by it, is because they actually genuinely loved his character, and you really don't get that much of him in this. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's super smart, and it, it's been I, I can't believe it took this us this long to kind of get to this point. Whereas, like, playtime is just huge subversion of the monster who character mm-hmm. it's like I, i'm assuming people went to the theater one and like yes we, we want we want french mr bean this is what we're into <laughs> but instead it's like monster hulo's barely in the movie yeah yeah totally totally i mean he's he's um he's hardly part of the restaurant scene at least i mean he he does play a role in the beginning the thing that i was reading that people see as a as as like the first a version of his character is how um one of the tourists or something um taps on someone's shoulder and then they're, they're, they're like oh are you mr hulo and he's like oh no mr hulo what are you talking about or whatever like that's like <laughs> the first Ethan impression i love to see it oh <laughs> thank you <laughs> um... yeah i mean there are several moments where, where characters think it's like oh there's mr hulo and yeah just... there, there's so many fake outs yeah it, it just ends up being some rando with a trench coat, a hat, a pipe, and an umbrella. Which which there's so many of. It seems like everyone's wearing the same outfit. Um, yeah. Paige watched about half this, half, half this movie with me, and she was just like, I want that jacket. I want that purse. Like, I, I want this thing. And I was like, I was like, well, A, that's kind of proving his point. But B, like, yeah, I mean, like, he has great taste, even in this crazy world. Like, the outfits that people are wearing are super cool. Yes. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't say that I want the things that they have, but, like, their outfits are always on point. One question I wanted to ask was, if you could have any prop from this movie, what would it be? That's a, that's a really good question. I would probably go for his pipe. Okay, that, that, that's the obvious answer. You're, you're a little bit of a basic bitch, but I respect it. Uh, oh, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the door handle? I, I, yes, that, that's another good one. <laughs> so what would be yours? I would want the, the crown chair that leaves the imprint on the people's backs because I, I, I want to set up these, these little chairs, these, these bar stool type things. Yeah. Else, and, that when, and when anyone comes over that doesn't, uh, hasn't come over before and doesn't know about these chairs, they sit down and I get to punish them for coming over to my house and they'll have this bruise in their back that looks like a crown. <laughs> you are a lot more brutal than me, clearly. Um, <laughs> this is saying a lot about our characters, uh, but that's, that's what the podcast is about. The podcast is about revealing truths. <laughs> revealing the types of people that we are and you have revealed yourself to be an insanely cruel person and i respect that i, I want a bruise i do not want to break okay 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 <laughs> i i the, the, the that i can definitely understand um yeah no i mean the chair props are great there's how like again like i, I it, it 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 really occurred to me at the end like there's a lot of 
directors that sort of shoot things in a very chaotic way. Like if you think about like um, Clint Eastwood and Ridley Scott are both great directors that are known for um, just like doing two or three takes and that's it. And then there's directors like Kubrick and Pencher who are known for doing 40 takes on a shot or whatever, like, like 60 takes of Robert Downey Jr. getting out of a car in, in Zodiac or whatever. And I think, I think, um, I, I think both are great, but there's something that's particularly amazing about seeing a movie where you know that everything on screen was placed there is, and, and is entirely an intentional thing um, from the director. Like, and, and I think that this is one of those movies where like every single corner of the frame, I mean, you talked about how he coached people to walk, just like every single corner of this frame is entirely him. And I think just that in and of itself is just amazing to see. Yeah, I, I think that's what makes it so rewarding on rewatch is that this was the third time I've seen this movie. It will not be the last. For sure. At the same time, it's like, at this point, I, I kind of know what's going on um, where we're supposed to look. So I can I can let my eye wander. I can kind of see what, what everyone else is doing. I can see what's, what's going on in, in the right corner. I can see, see uh, what other people are doing. And it's just fascinating. It just creates this environment of this, this huge energy that the film has that it's this, this bustling environment that keeps going, 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 no matter what, like, it, even if, if you're not looking at it, it's still gonna go. Yeah, totally. T- totally. And in in, in, in in the world seems like it's a world that continues living and continues having these other things that you're not kind of get to see, like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the world is con- con- confined to this, to this film. It feels like a world that that exists on its own. And that's also something that I just love to see in a movie is it's, it's not like an action movie where it feels confined to the screen. This movie does not feel confined to the screen. You're always feeling like you're not seeing enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, precisely. It's like he shot on 70 millimeter and these, these crazy wide shots, but it gives the impression that like, like what's happening on screen isn't isn't it that there's just this whole world that we're not even seeing that that's outside of the frame, and I, I think that that's what makes it so special and and what makes it like sit so well. Like the, by the time the the end of the movie comes around and and um sunlight rises up and and one of the final shots is that these these cars just in traffic just drive and drive and drive and we 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 see their tail lights and we see the street lights and we see these building lights and then suddenly snap. And it becomes nighttime, and it's those same lights, and it's it's movie magic. It's it's the greatest. Like I've never done heroin, but it's it's kind of close. <laughs> to that. If anyone in this podcast is listening, please do heroin and then watch Playtime, and then compare the two experiences. We are we are encouraging our listeners to do heroin. I beg of you, please, please, please do heroin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, uh, I I mean I think I I th- I think that's that's kind of all my thoughts in the movie. Uh, wait, I do I do want to just talk about this on the podcast. Actually, you you asked me last night. You asked me a great question. You didn't ask me what my what my favorite song was all time, but you asked me what what the best song of all time is. It's also a stupid question because best implies that there's some sort of objectivity in, in that which does not exist but I like to pretend that it exists. Yeah, but that's what makes it a great question, is that you can talk about... I, I mean, there's so many great songs, but you came up with, I think, the most right answer, which is good vibrations. I think that's, like, the most objectively correct answer. I appreciate that, because that makes me feel, feel very smart, but it's it also feels a little, like... It's the mix of two two worlds where it's it's the it's the the musical answer and the answer that feels very personal because it's just this this the beginning of the song is this this very these this, these warm vocals and it dives in, into the chorus and it's just this surf rock and then the bridge it comes in it's like all these different components coming together but at the same time it's it's very commercial and very listenable too I just adore that song 
Yeah, totally. I think I th- I think I I think that's what makes that song great is you've got you've got the production design, you've got Brian Wilson just going out of his mind, um, composing all these like crazy harmonies and shit. But you've got the hook that keeps you going, and it's very it's it's very listenable and it's very easy to hang along with it. But like I've tried to play that on guitar and like good luck with that that's it's um it's an impossible task to try to play it on any instrument just because it's so layered and weird and you get so many chords in it yet it somehow makes sense in its end product it's it's a it's a brilliant piece of writing i i think i think my answer was was california dreaming which is just i think that that that, that's another candidate for just like the best written song ever I think California Dreaming is is another really great option, just because whereas Good Vibrations is is very light and it's it's uh, it's about a girl, I feel like California Dreaming has this, this sorrow just kind of inherent in the lyrics and the tone of the song that just just brings it to a completely different level. It's such a it's such a poetic song, and then I think if you really want to see the impact of that song, I mean, watch like Chungking Express, like this movie from Hong Kong, like. In, in the 90s, like 30 years later, like that movie is, that, that, that song is like central to that film. Like I just love seeing that. And then just this idea that this old pop song from the, from the 60s is just like, that's the heart and soul of it, basically. Yeah, completely. It has this, this certain quality to it that's, that's at the same time timeless, but also it, it's very much at this, this one time and place. It, it, it evokes a feeling of, what the world was going through in the sixties, but at the same time, it's like that feeling is is timeless. That it's it's we're still going through it and we will always go through it. Yeah. Um any other songs you want to shout out? <laughs> um I, I was listening to a bunch of Beatles songs today trying to figure out what the best Beatles song is and there's no answer because there's like 30 answers. In my life is the answer. Oh yes. Okay, okay. I, I was I, I actually singled that one out today. Because I, I was um, listening through Rubber Soul as a whole today, and um, but I'll have to get a give another shout out to one on that album. But Norwegian Wood is another great answer. Norwegian Wood is an incredible song. I I I decided like um that I would be the first person to listen to in my life on Spotify, and I still I still believe I still believe I am the first person to listen to that song on Spotify. Like the the that the night that the Beatles came out on Spotify, I literally waited until like the second that they came out and then went straight to in my life. And I still I I still think I'm the first play on that song. That's I'm very so proud weird. of that. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. It was like 2017. They're like, the Beatles are coming to Spotify. I was like, no way. I just picture you bragging about that to people. Like you're, you're at you're at the nightclub in in playtime, and, and you're you're, you're dancing with, with with some girl, and you're like, hey girl, hey, hey, I was the first listen on Spotify to the Beatles in my life. <laughs> Want to go back to my place? We can listen to Rubber Soul. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't think I've told anyone that. <laughs> I totally forgot about that actually. Um, yeah, no, I, it's a, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a great song. And I think it's, it sounds like Lennon, but there was definitely some Paul influence. I don't know. It's a, it, I, I think that's my favorite. All we know is that it probably wasn't Ringo. <laughs> I, just, Ringo. <laughs> I just had this conversation on the Lord of the Rings podcast. because I was talking about how the two towers is the George Harrison. Yeah. Of, like of the, the trilogy. Point, by the way. Thank you. But then we all decided that Ringo is definitely the Hobbit trilogy. (laughs) Listen to that made me laugh out loud. (laughs) Which is very, very true. Um, But we all love Ringo. Um, I I think the other song that I, that I, that I thought of, I don't know if it qualifies as a song, which, and then I'll get off this point is um, Gabriel's oboe. Um, Oh, interesting. Pai Enyo, I think that's just the most yeah. beautiful piece of music ever ever written. I don't even know if it's a really a song. Like it's not a pop song at least. Sure, but at the same time, like 
yeah i i I have no clue how to talk about that (laughs) yeah no i i I just think it's the most beautiful piece of music ever written there's something so innocent and light about it but yeah take um, that mozart yeah fuck you mozart (laughs) with that um (laughs) any any final thoughts on playtime yeah there was there was one thing i wanted to bring up i kind of stumbled upon on accident um if anyone listening is looking for a double feature this plays really well with um charlie kaufman's synecdoche new york oh i like this yes so i i just kind of coincidentally watched the two um on back-to-back days a couple years ago and um I think if you watch um, Synecdoche in New York first, it gives you this like feeling of like existentialism and that like you're just, you're just a pawn in the background. You're, you're this, this background character and that there's all this going on in, in Synecdoche in New York. The, the main character is, is a director on this, this huge, this huge um, set. And he's, he's, he's built all these buildings. He has all these actors and he's just, um, very in the weeds, directing how they say lines, how they do different things, and it's very similar to Tati in Playtime. And I, I think how that ties in with the with the um, viewing experience of Playtime is it, it ties you into looking at the background. You you get to look at mm-hmm. all these different characters in the background, kind of seeing what they're doing, like these these fully fleshed out lives that Tati actually thought about. It's just a really weird experience. That's it's awesome. I think that's a good point. And then also if like you want something to kind of lift you out of the place that Penecticky New York puts you in, I think that's, it's also a good option for that because like we talked about, it's a little more optimistic. It um, sort of has this hope for humanity that Penecticky New York doesn't. I mean, uh, Charlie Kaufman is not, doesn't strike me as a very hopeful person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I, I think playing those two precisely in that order is, is very important because mm-hmm. like the, the first time I saw Synecdoche in New York, I felt hollow inside. <laughs> <laughs> and especially after this most recent view in a playtime, I, I, I feel energized. I feel like someone just pumped pure life straight into my heart. It might be the heroin I took, but... <laughs> It's probably the heroin, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, playtime has the job too. If you can't get a hold of any heroin, um, that's that's just about where I'd like to leave my uh, playtime thoughts. Right on. Any like um, yeah. Um, so I usually have my guests close out by saying a line from a movie that they love in character. Um, do you have any from this movie? I mean, this movie doesn't have any quotes. <laughs> is, 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 is there another movie that you like to do? I think you covered the, the Hulo impersonator pretty well, so I won't try that one. I'm not Hulo, who are you talking about? <laughs> but I, I feel like we've been very nice to the French in this episode, and we don't need to do that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to offend as many French people as possible. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so excited for this. I, I'm going to do a quote from Monty Python, The Holy Grail, with the, the, the French castle. <laughs> so ready. I'm French. What do you think I have this outrageous accent, you silly king? <laughs> oh my god. You got so into character. Oh, that was so impressive. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like in front of Brando or something. That was like so into character. That was gorgeous. Thank you so much. This is this was the, this was this was so fun. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a genuine pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cineflag, and I will see you next week.